0: Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, your rocket fuel powered podcast about the Elixir community and ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie and I am here with Chris
1: Bell. Hey Desmond, how are you doing? I'm feeling fired up, Chris. How are you doing? Fired up like a rocket ship.
0: Yeah, did you see that uh, thing that SpaceX did the other day where they tested the escape hatch, not the escape hatch, but like the escape system for their manned capsule where it like blows off the top of the rocket and then parachutes open?
1: I didn't see this, but
0: it sounds very cool. It's pretty cool. And so, you know, it's in case something goes wrong and the crew can jettison from the, um, the big rocket and it worked fine. But then they blew up the rocket just because or... I guess so. I mean, it's funny because they know how to land this thing on a floating platform, but they're like, ah, screw it. Let's see a big explosion.
1: Very cool. I mean, you know, Elon Musk, all that money, they can just throw away rockets left, right, and center. So,
0: Well, if you're throwing cars into outer space. Someone mentioned the other day that after human civilization is long gone, it was something about, like, what's going to remain? You know, would a future civilization find anything of us? And the answer was, like, pretty much no. Over a long time scale, everything's going to get turned over by the Earth and blasted by the sun, except for a floating
1: car in outer space. That's great. I'm really, really... Uh, excited about the future of the human race now knowing that that is going to be our legacy you know it's just a little easter egg yeah great news great news uh-huh. so what's going uh, on well
0: busy in la here uh planning mpex which is happening next weekend uh saturday february 8th in los angeles california preceded by a day of trainings on friday february 7th featuring me desmond and you chris yes We're doing a beginner us yeah. <laughs> we were doing a beginner training for those of us that want, or those of you, I guess, that want to um, get down with uh, some of the basics of Elixir and, yeah, go from zero to, like, ready to, ready to make things happen.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to be there. So uh, it's going to be a great conference. And I heard that we've got something a little bit special on the show today as well. Is that right? A, l- a little bit special? You make it sound like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Christmas. It seems like it's going to be a great episode. So I'm excited. Chris Bellmas. I'm Not I, sure about that.
0: I feel a little weird about, for our, our listeners who are not native English speakers, if all of my, like, random English wordplay just goes over their heads.
1: It probably does. I, I'm probably sure does. a lot of what we say goes over a lot of people's heads, because it's never that great, so... <laughs> or you know, under their
0: heads, because it's...
1: <laughs> just
0: subpar. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris is right. We're joined today by a very special guest. He is... A widely known author in um, the Elixir space, but also in the general programming space. I first read his book, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, probably 10 years ago. He has recently written Designing Elixir Systems in OTP, and he's the author of an upcoming live view book. He's the founder of Groxio, Career Rocket Fuel for Curious Developers. Please welcome to the show,
1: Bruce Tate. Hey, it's, good. it's great to be with you guys. Hey, Bruce. Where, where are you coming in from today? This is Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm looking over the the mighty Tennessee River. Amazing. So, are you there for all the kayaking or other reasons as well?
2: Oh, kayaking. Yeah, I was a kayaker in another life. So, I do flat water kayaking these days, which I'm kind of embarrassed to admit. I call it glass five, right? Nice. (laughs) So, what kind of boring things can you do to hurt yourself on a kayak?
0: Very well you cool. can paddle too hard, right?
2: You can. Um my my kayak though is a Hobie Mirage powered kayak, which means that you power it with your feet. They're like these little seal flippers that are uh, amazingly oh efficient.
0: How is that different from a paddle boat?
2: Oh, it's way different from a paddle boat. I mean, this is okay. like, you know, gosh, uh, you know, back in the '60s, you get in, in your Swan, right, and then you kind of um, hit the. You have these uh, lazy little paddle wheels, but these things literally have these things that look like seal flippers coming out of the bottom of the boat. Mm-hmm. And um, in in their advertisement, they show um, one small person pulling an Olympic kayaker the other direction they're just so marvelously efficient wow, so wow. I mean if you think about it if you're a fisherman you can fish because your hands are free if you are right. a, a sailor you can throw a sail on it and sail because your hands are free it's an amazing experience and and so you know we do some photography on the river to see the osprey and the eagles and it's it's sure. really pretty amazing
1: Cool. cool i feel like desmond that was probably like the most insulting thing you can say to someone who owns that kind of kayak if what? it's like a paddle boat but oh. you know <laughs> we're out here asking the questions on elixir Torch. Right. you know <laughs> the
0: hard questions the hard questions Yeah, <laughs> indeed. our esteemed guests um, so uh bruce um Gosh, where do we begin? Obviously, you've been around the scene for a long time. Uh, Why don't we jump in and talk a bit about your recent book that you co-authored with uh, James Edward Gray, another luminary in the industry, um, Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. So I'm looking at the description now. You know how to code an Elixir, maybe. Um, Now learn to think in it. So this is about taking your programs to the next level and really thinking about architecture going beyond just functions and modules and thinking about how do i leverage OTP to make like a resilient system which is something that people ask us a lot on the show you know yeah. what is this OTP how do i use it how does it make my programs in elixir different than programs in other languages
2: yeah it's really amazing because we so james and i started talking about this a, a while ago so um james came to work for me at i can make It better um you know maybe four or five years ago and um so we started talking about a book then he and he started walk uh, working through this otp concept and realized that he didn't want to design a book about otp he wanted to design a book about elixir programming and mm. we figured out that this was Probably too much book for one person, not because it's particularly fat. I think it's, what, 250 pages or something. But because the concepts are so encompassing of everything that happens in OTP. So what we did was we said, okay, so if you're an Elixir developer who uses a lot of OTP, what kind of lens do you view the world through? And we started to Mm -hmm. unwrap that. And then we came up with this, we said, okay, here's this metaphor. So I kept telling James to include a metaphor and everything just sounded terrible and artificial. It came up with this like cookie with an outer crunch and an inner chewy layer. It was terrible. Um, and then I came up with a worse one that we kind of stuck with. <laughs> so um, we came up with a sentence, do fun things with big, loud worker bees. And I like it because it's a great way to think about the layers of your system do fun things is data functions tests, and big loud wildebeests is boundaries and life cycles and workers. And when you think in those kinds of terms, not every system has all of those layers, but there's something important about each one of them. And they each have a profound impact on what we do. You know, for example, you know, there's this, this boundary layer and everything on one side of the boundary layer is in pipeline and everything on the other side of the boundary layer is in width land, right? right? So those are the, the constructs that we use. And I have noticed that more and more developers are winding up with design decisions that force them into width land everywhere because mm. their systems don't lay out the right layers. Mm. Right. I've also can noticed. You, go ahead.
0: Can you break down a little more when you say with land and pipe land? I know what the with construct is, and I understand what pipes are, but could you um, shed some light on that distinction a little more for those in our audience that are have less experience with the language?
2: Yes, that's a that's a great time to slow down, and you know I'm not very good at that.
0: But um,
2: so when you have layers and the software layers in the system very often whether you're dealing with otp or not like right now i'm dealing with i'm writing a tetris game with some high school students and these are freshmen and sophomores and we've gotten pretty far into this we're coding live view and somebody noticed hey wait a minute when i press the right key too many times the the tetramino goes off the screen to the left or to the right And they said, well, what do we do here? We have all this beautiful code with pipes. And if we check error conditions everywhere, we're going to have all of this Mm if-then-else. And then someone else might step up and they might say, hey, instead of if-then-else, why don't we use with? And so with is this construct that deals with failure well, but it, it doesn't compose as beautifully. So what you do is you have this part of the system where you say, hey, beyond this layer, everything is pure and everything is clean. And on the other side of this layer, we're allowed to introduce some uncertainty. And so this tends to be the OTP layer, um, the OTP boundary layer, where you, where you expose your API in an OTP system, in a live view system, in a Phoenix channel system, in a scenic system. And on the other side of that, after you scrub the data, everything is clean. So, you know, this is this is a situation where after thinking about the right layers in the right way, we our, our code starting to get started to get better and we knew that we had something in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Is it possible to put all of that width layer in one layer? I mean, I've worked on applications where maybe you have a width layer at, say, the API boundary, but right. then further down, you have more validations. Like, do, Can you have those clean layers?
2: Yes. So, I am of the mind that more layers is good, right? Okay. So, one of the things that that I try to do, um, I actually get pushed back for, um in some circles, um, I say that in OTP, your handles should be skinny, right? Mm-hmm. Um, skinny handles basically means that the things that the reducers that they are operating over are, are much more pure. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you have um, really skinny handlers, you can break out the validation and the data cleaning into separate functions and you can right. break out the pure functions. So that's that's one thing, one way that you can have um, layers that are unnecessarily complicated, right? So if everything is for, forced to deal with with you lose the beautiful composition that you get in elixir piping. And actually it was one of the concepts that drew Dave Thomas to elixir in the first place. Right. Right. He wanted, if you even look at the title in his book, um, I think it's something like something pragmatic fun, functional, pragmatic fun. Right. Yeah. And um, that's true. So, so Jose wasn't imagining the pipe character As something that was, um, that was a main operator in Elixir. And you can actually see that from, from the ordering of the operations, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have your parentheses for things to pipe correctly. And and if we've been (laughs) imagining, the system um, in that way from the very beginning it would have been quite different. but you know one of the nice things that you get with multiple people in the community is they look at everything with with a with a different lens and Dave looked at this and said, hey this composition is beautiful And I know as a teacher that I can take perhaps object-oriented developers that have latched on to their composition techniques and I can take some of those techniques away but now I have something to give them. I can mm. I can help them understand how to weave together systems. And so a lot of what we do in designing Elixir systems with OTP is say, hey, if you start to build your systems in this way, if you're able to to get in a, a more pure state, and, and I, don't, I don't believe anything is ever really pure. And in fact, right. our application isn't pure because we have random numbers. But if you can get mostly pure, things get much more simple. And and so um, so we we a lot of time uh, we spent a lot of time as we were writing the book. James would basically rough out an application, and I would refactor it. And you know, I would say um, your functions are too long, and he would say your functions are too short. And I would say there's <laughs> too much width, and he would say there's not enough width. And we would land in mm-hmm. the middle somewhere with with uh, really a beautiful result, I think.
1: So in a system like that, where you've got all these layers, where do you think about the composition of those layers actually happening?
2: Yeah. So the main rule is not to keep, is you're not angling for many layers. You're mm-hmm. angling for a single level of abstraction,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: So you don't want to wind up in a place like, I'm building this this um, Tetris system with the high school kids, right? So one of the things that I could do is say, okay, my level of abstraction is I am moving a brick, right, mm-hmm. a, a tetromino, of four four blocks. And so as I move those four blocks, one of the things I can do is to rotate it. So one thing that, that could come out of that is I could have some big, hairy rotate function that moves all these individual points around. Right. Instead, what we do is say, okay, instead of dealing with a square, which is, you know, zero to 20, we're going to deal with a single point mm-hmm. on a four-by-four four grid, Right? We're going to build our tetromino there, and then we're going to translate that tetromino's shape at some point. So at one layer, the live view is saying, my job is to move that whole tetromino st- structure, one to the left, one to the right, down, or to change one attribute, the rotation from 0 to 90 to 180 to 270 and back to 0. And then there's a whole another layer that's a module. I actually have one for point where we move mm-hmm. something right one, move it left one, move it down, we rotate a point, we reflect a point. Um, and we also do kind of the the geometry primitives. We we mirror, um, we transpose. And then basically, we can then think in terms of piping. So like, for example, to rotate 90 degrees, you take a point and you re- reflect it um, uh, horizontally. And then you transpose it, so you flip the X and Y, and that gives you a rotation of 90 degrees. And so when I show on a piece of graph paper, hey, this is what reflecting looks like, and this is what transpose looks like, Mm -hmm. we're basically mirroring over this horizontal axis, and now we're mirroring over this diagonal axis, then what we're doing, this thing is a pipe. Um, And so I have that internal pipe, and then... On top of that, there's a layer that that's the moving the brick. And then on top of that, there's the layer that checks to see that that data is clean, right? So I haven't mm. rotated into another point. I haven't moved right off the screen or moved down off the screen. I haven't collided with the bottom. And then. On top of that layer, there's a layer that is, um, live view that is actually calling these reducers through the, you know, the messy APIs and not the clean ones. And so, um, and that's, that's what it looks like. So today I got to see the face on the, on the, the faces of the kids as they actually saw all of this groundwork. They saw the gravity kick in for the first time and it was just just marvelous it's like dead silence and then just the place erupts as you know the brick started tracking down <laughs> so instead of a number tracking down we're actually you know all these layers are doing something and this one guy just everybody else is erupting and he gets deadly silent because he got it he understood that hey we're building in layers we're building in reducers and he could see exactly why we did it that way
1: mm. No, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I think the idea of having a functional core is excellent, and where you can have these very pure functions, obviously, much easier to test, ideally easier to maintain, etc., etc. We can, we can all think about the benefits of that. I, I'm wondering how you think about applications uh, more in the in the quote unquote real world, you know, like where we are, we are, we are dealing with side effects everywhere, like database driven applications, which I'm sure most of our listeners out there are having to write right now. How, how do you think about uh, those layering into these concepts?
2: Yeah. So James is great in this area. So he likes to push back on the status quo. And so um, we both thought about the idea. So what if we did the whole first, 90% 90% of this book before actually ever touching a database. Right. And I've got to admit, I've never coded that way. But once I did it, your persistence is really clear, right? Because it's just this OTP process. And I can dump yep. data in there and I can have, um, you know, I can start the state anywhere I want to. Um, I could easily store and, and retrieve state, um, gosh, with, um, with you know, ets or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And everything is staggeringly productive before I ever have to write my first migration. right? Mm. And so if you think about your system in, in those terms, and not that you make the database second class, but you make the database one of these outer layers beyond where you put the OTP, then right. things get a lot, a lot simpler. So basically what we did is persistence through callbacks. Mm-hmm. And we defined, so we had already gone through our lifecycle layer, which is our supervision tree. So it was very natural to say, okay, so um, now, um, now when I have these these layers that that know how to be, um, that are ready to be manipulated, and the data is clean. Um, and this was before we actually had the extractable validation, right? So we had to write our own validation layer. But even with that own validation layer, everything was much, much cleaner. Because um, So what coding a persistent model does is it breaks you out of a pure functional coder, uh, of, of a pure functional core right off the bat. And once you do that, you're kind of dead. You can't you can't take advantage of these other these other aspects of, of um, OTP. You can't take advantage of the layering and pipes. And that's what I mean. From um, we abandon um pipeland to with land way too soon. Right.
1: No, I, I get that. I, I think was it James who wrote the blog post about um, the virtues of not throwing away the state of the world on every request and having to reload it as well. I'm, I'm guessing some of these ideas kind of came in here. Yeah, um, yeah, And by that, I mean, he was advocating for more stateful kind of HTTP effectively, right?
2: Right, 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 and, and it makes sense. So, um, so Chris McCord gave a brilliant keynote, um, I guess it was maybe this past year, where he talks about the atomic trash can and talks about how Crack. hard the trash can has to work. Yeah with a typical request-response application. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's definitely true. I think that probably if we look at making a live page more efficient, that's where we need to be as, as an industry um, more than anything else.
0: Hmm.
1: I, I mean, we've been there before, though, as well, right? And I think you gave a really good talk at uh, one of the, was it the first MPEX, I think, about like the pendulum, the pendulum. swing? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it well, yeah. Um, and I think like this, this to me smells like one of those examples of we had very stateful requests with, with some other systems in the past. And I, I mean, the abstractions were different and maybe the reliability of those systems can come under question. But yeah, it's interesting that we're back there again and talking about those ideas. And we'll be
2: back in the other direction at some point, right? So what's right. going to happen is True. that, um, is that we're going to get to a place where we're really, really happy doing a live view type thing on the server. And then we're mm-hmm. going to have to deal with disconnected systems. We're going to have to to deal with a train that drives into the tunnel. We're going to have to deal with, um, you know, all this, right? And so we're going to go back to more of a batched interaction, right? Or I don't know, maybe it's space travel, right? Or uh, <laughs> under underwater travel, I don't know. But something is going to push us back in the other direction.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting I, I i mean obviously we're all elixirists here on the podcast and we all see elixir as being one of those technologies um that helps with these kinds of problems um i was curious from your perspective bruce like what drew you to it in the first place and what keeps you here
2: yeah so that's a really interesting story um and one that kind of it, it gets to elixir's genesis um So I wrote Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, the book that you mentioned earlier, Desmond, when I was just stone cold scared, right? I didn't know where my career was going and um, started doing some exploration. And as I did that, I started seeing some things that I didn't like about object-oriented systems. I started really thinking about what the future was and um, was really looking for, at that point, where I was going to take these—is this, this kind of core set of customers that was starting to grow. And um, so I, I basically was in Ruby because it was very quick to get a startup established. And that was a business that I was in. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I ever had a, a startup fail for technical reasons. And I think that right. probably most people are in that boat. And Ruby is incredibly efficient in in that space. But... There are some times I knew that if, if I had, um, a startup like really succeed, none of them were going to succeed against, the, um, in the dimension that I initially imagined, right? So this kind of stack that everybody was doing, not just Ruby, but also, um, everyone was doing NoSQL databases, right? Which mm-hmm. basically it says you're great if you can perfectly imagine the relationships as they should be and they never change, right? And as soon as you get out of there, you're pushed yep. into doing your own relational database and managing your own joins. Well, I had similar yep. problems in, in Ruby. And so I was traveling to, to Europe at some point. Um, so this was 2012. And I think that um, that Seven Languages in Seven Weeks was, um, was 2010. Um, so this is 2012. And um, I am... Going to see a language that, for the first time, clicked for me from a functional perspective. Like I really liked Clojure, but as mm-hmm. a dyslexic, the you know the prefix notation and the parentheses just blow me up. They just right. completely destroy me. Um, so I I couldn't ever get enough traction, uh, mental traction, to make that work. Um, liked Haskell a lot. Um, couldn't find work in Haskell. Um, I liked. Um, I didn't really. Um, Scala didn't really work for me because it seemed like you know I was always in one world or the other one or trying to right. like rely mm-hmm. in a foundation that I wasn't really sure of. Um, Erlang looked great, but um, you know it wasn't far enough along. There wasn't enough adop- adoption at the time, but I saw in Elixir, the the Ruby syntax that, that really um, gave me a head start. I saw the, uh, the features in Erlang that I liked. I, I saw the macro feature. And macros, though they're not used very often, they are huge in the evolution of Elixir because they allow the language to be developed in a much more rapid, much more clean, hygienic way. Mm-hmm. So, I basically stalked Jose across the pond, was walking up to him with this kind of ratty manuscript, um, of Dave's book. And, um, you know, so he, he gives this brilliant talk as they all are and walk up to him and said, Hey, hey, I'm, could, could, book, right? (laughs) And, and he just turns around and walks off. And I said, Oh my gosh, I've completely blown it. And he, he walks, he walks up back with this dog-eared, completely shredded copy of Seven Languages in Seven Weeks and said, I know who you are, Bruce, right? <laughs> kind of this smooth Jose um, you know, accident that, it, that only he can do. And um, you know, we become we, we became fast friends at that time, and I asked him what he needed to make Elixir successful. He said, I need two things. Um I don't know quite what to do with Dynamo, which was the web server that he was going to work on, that he was mm-hmm. working on. It wasn't quite right. Um, you know, I was talking to a guy named Evan Miller that had a, um, a framework called Chicago Boss in Erlang um, and was going to try to make something happen with that. Well, Evan decided to go be a digital nomad and work on his statistics packages. Um, and so he needed to figure that out and I needed to figure that out, too, for Elixir to be viable. And he said, I also can't lose Eric Meadows Johnson. Right. And so we hired it, right? So we said, you know, my, my boss said, so what's this Elixir thing? And I said, it's, it's our next language. He said, what database are we going to use? I said, don't worry, we'll build it. He said, okay, <laughs> well, at least it has a good web server store. And I shook my head. He just walked out of the room, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's kind of tr- trusting me to have it. Um, and so to solve the, um, the web server problem, um, you know, we, and I say we, I mean, you know, I watched Jose crank out an inordinate amount of code um, to build a web server kit, Pluck, mm-hmm. right? So, um, right. and that's, that's kind of the concept that we had. So, we said um, to make Elixir work, we need a web server. To get a web server, we have to find somebody that's not in the community right now that can go do it. So, we basically went fishing for Chris McCord and we caught him with Pluck.
0: Nice. Yeah. Wait, you caught him with what? With plug, plug. With plug. yeah. Oh, plug, plug. Yeah. yeah, got it.
2: Yeah, so that was our web server kit, and then, you know the. So yeah, I mean Chris is absolutely brilliant. Um, one of the smartest. He's also one of the kindest men that I know. Right. Um, he just um, really is a, you know, a deeply good man with, um, you know that that is super smart too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so yeah i mean that was eight years ago now right i think you were saying 2012 20 was it? so
2: at this time we were probably we were probably about to get to 2013 so yeah 13, so okay. when i approached yeah, the first yes, time yeah. it was um 20, 2012 maybe 2011 right. 2012 it was right after seven languages so it's probably 2011 and um so, um, gosh, before Elixir one um, right, and definitely before right. Phoenix, and um, definitely before the first version of Ecto, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were we were starting to use it, and um, you know, of course, at that time I had Eric to help me. Um, we tried to make a go of it in MongoDB, terrible idea, <laughs> and um, when James came in, he tried to talk us out of that successfully, and um, we moved everything to Postgres.
1: So. I mean, what what keeps you here, though? What keeps you in the community after all this time? What keeps you in the language? And what keeps you like, it seems like you're teaching newcomers Elixir from the get-go. So I wonder if you could talk a bit about that as well.
2: Yes. Yeah, so Groxio is basically a company. So, I mean, I won't say that I, that Bruce Tate launched Elixir or even had like a, a big role in it. Um, I did have something to do with um, with the the growth of the community, right, as a as a publisher, I've put my hands on probably had a big role in um, most of the bigger books in the community. I've written a couple of them with um, you know Adopting Elixir, Programming Phoenix, Designing Elixir Systems, OTP, um, Seven Languages, which had something to do with it. Um, the first um, or the second Elixir book with Dave Thomas having the first in seven more languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't really set a, um, a social legacy, and I think that that's something that we should all think about. Um, mm-hmm. and so there was a, there was a point, I was at a conference, I'm not going to say where it was or anything because I really respect the, um, the conference scene in, um, you know, around, around, um, you know, in, in the shows that I've gone to, but there were a whole lot of people there and, um, there were three people that were either, um, Non white or female. And that really bothered me pretty deeply. And so, Groxio actually exists for me to be able to spend more time at that, you know. And so, I call that, I call the company, we we set a tagline um, this week it's career rocket fuel for curious developers with the idea that, um, that, that to really succeed in your career, you have to get out of the daily grind. So most mm-hmm. of us are not learning all the time. Everybody always says that they're learning all the time, and we just don't. You really have to get outside of your comfort zone, which is not in your boss's best interest if your boss is, just, is only interested in you writing code that's going to move the project along, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but Groxio is about pushing us out of that comfort zone, and that's where the real career growth happens, and that's where growth as programmers happens. Um, and then, as I started writing the content for Groxio, I noticed a couple of things. The first thing was that was that Elixir's pipes and pure functions are a marvelous way to teach problem solving. Hmm. So we landed on this Tetris problem, and it's really hard to tell people how a game design is going to look, right? It's a little easier to tell people how to write the next frame, mm-hmm. and it's really easy to tell people how to write the next point when you're moving right. Mm-hmm. That's geometry. That's you know sixth grade, seventh grade geometry, and so... What Maggie and I did is we basically started this company um, not knowing where we are gonna land. We threw away one product. Um, We might reintroduce it this year. It's basically a a way to um, learn Elixir um, without having to install a lot of stuff. It teaches kind of the syntax and rules. But we walked away from that and we kind of came back to this idea of rather than trying to teach beginners from the get-go, let's try to go back to our roots. The readers of seven languages in seven weeks, and let's start to help them become to really energize their careers because that's what I'm mm. really good at. Um, I can. Right. Um, I've been a mentor uh, for many years, going way back to IBM. Um, I was a you know what what they call a um, uh, I, I call uh, we were um, a certified specialist, right? Which mean which meant that we were the first technical level that had a say in a promotion when you got to to a particular level at IBM. And so a big part of that job was mentoring. And so a big part of Groxio became mentoring. And Mm -hmm. as we started teaching these high school students and as we started um, seeing that, hey, um, it's possible to teach programming in a different way. Um, it's easy to, to teach things as a series of transformations and um, and with some guidance, they could build some strikingly complicated things. Um, we started to dream a little bigger. And so we established a coding club in, in a Tennessee high school, which is a great, it's a difficult thing, right? Right. Um, and it's a club because we're basically after school, after the curriculum, you know, there are no controls over club curriculum mm-hmm. so we can teach whatever we want to. And so we've done this for the first year and um, we're doing this in partnership with a local company, um, blue cross blue shield. Mm-hmm. And um, they they're sending um, they're starting to kind of catch on to what's happening there. They have a big, um, a big effort in the greater um, in the greater area and, um, but we started noticing all these things, and then we said, we're not dreaming big enough. So um, we said, what we can do is mentor women and minority programmers in Chattanooga and have people that maybe they know some, some – they probably know some math and science or they have a little bit of experience, but they don't have object-oriented experience at all, right? Right. And we could catch some people up that haven't participated because – to come around to functional programming, everybody has to unlearn the old stuff to learn the new stuff
1: right right
0: So I want to um, sort of take off on on that because we think a lot about what do we what do people need to learn more on this podcast what, yeah. are, what what skills people up And you've been around the community for a while I think you've seen like generations kind of come in and get involved and it feels like there's a ceiling. Uh, it feels like there's a ceiling of understanding OTP and how to build your applications like with this. And then what's next? And there's a talk at MPEX this year about how it's time to embrace Erlang. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's the next step. But it seems like not a lot of people, you know, continue along that growth ladder up to some of the higher rungs. So why do you think that is? And uh, what can we what can we do about it?
2: Okay, so that's that's a couple of questions. Um, so this is the 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 market that designing electric systems and OTP is squarely aimed at. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe that we need to be teaching layering and design and reducers. We need to be hammering that home, right? So I just did. I just released a video series. Um, if your users want to find it, it's grox.io slash series/slash quad meaning quad block, which is like Tetris, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, one of the comments on the Elixir Forum is there's not much live view in there. And there's not, right? Because the hard parts about OTP are not OTP, right? It's pretty easy to change a state. And, you know, throw in, um, ever changing state, right? It's a lot harder to think about the layers in the system and solve the problems in, um, in a way, um, that, that allows me to call one reducer after the next, right? And so, um, and we do some pretty extreme things like we even break down, we have the module names for the pure functions are, um, tetromino. We call it maybe a brick or a block. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the four blocks, and that has like a shape, a location, a rotation, reflection. There's a point, and that point can be moved right, moved left, moved down, um, mirrored, transposed, and rotated. And then there's points, right? And it's weird to have those file like a point file and a points file. But the reason that we do it is that so now everything in that points file has points arguments. And you can mm. use those as reducers throughout the whole system. Mm. And when people see that, they're able to break through, right? So I think that with the problems that we have in breaking through, um, it's not that they hit OTP and have to stop, or they hit Phoenix and have to stop, or they hit any of these areas and have to stop. It's that their their designs underneath are not structured in the right way to survive the collision with OTP or Phoenix. Mm. Right? Especially since we're teaching from the very, very early stages, abandon the pure functional layer with persistence from the very beginning. And that's a mistake. Mm. I'll get burned to the ground for saying that also.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. We can have controversial opinions here. We've had Dave Thomas on the show before. So, you know. um. So, a lot of this sounds. A lot of this sounds
2: familiar, then, right? So well, he's yeah. he's further than I am on, you know, he's, he's probably more extreme than I am on the components end, but the idea mm. that um, that we lock into persistence way too early with our tooling, with our designs, mm-hmm. with our teaching, um, and it's not the right way to do things.
1: Mm.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, it could it could be difficult to break out of that concept because a lot of us came from ruby and rails and that's not the whole community but we you know we're naive to ignore that that legacy exists in our community and we came up with model view controller and that kind of paradigm and i think phoenix contexts were one attempt to break out of that but i don't think they were opinionated enough to really drive in like this goes here that goes there right and people would you know, ask questions. Well, what does go in the context and what am I allowed right. to put here? And, you know, why is context singular or plural?
2: And that's a dependency thing, right? So the, the context, and that's another, another place that I could, I could, um, you know, throw some controversial comments out there, but I won't. Um, oh, why not? Oh, why not? So basically yeah, do designing Elixir systems and OTP says that there are four ways to manage dependencies. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Our community is pretty heavy in um, either context or umbrellas, but there's Mm -hmm. also get dependencies and there's also using um, poncho projects, which I think is a marvelous way to path dependencies, right? And poncho projects Mm -hmm. and the nerves community has, has relied on that. And it's really a beautiful way to design things. Um, So yeah, I think that that's part and parcel of the same thing, right? It's it's where do you put the lines between the systems, and mm-hmm. so um, you know, to Chris's credit, Chris has done a beautiful job of defining this this component oriented layer, um, mm-hmm. and also a beautiful job in defining beautiful levels of isolation in the pub sub and and things like that, um, and also so what Chris does probably better than anybody else in the industry is understand the difference between um, or understand where to draw the line between infrastructure and program and how to build that line in a way that, um, that that basically keeps things separated and keeps things extensible. And it helps right. to have somebody as brilliant as Jose, as Jose whispering in his ear. Right. So, I mean, they're both like, if, if you look at a blues player, the best blues, the good blues players can play a crap ton of notes. And you say, well, how did that happen? The best blues players, the BB Kings, they know what not, notes not to play. There's mm-hmm. air, there's silence. And mm-hmm. that's that's what Chris and Jose are really, really good at. Plus, mm. plus they're, you know, to the best man I know.
0: Yeah, that's a subtle point about uh, creating the void and knowing what not to play. Uh, it still seems like you know, it can be difficult to communicate some of these concepts to people and I don't know what I'm looking for. Maybe it would be something as simple as like a visual diagram. You know, something that takes your module structure and looks at all how the modules all call each other and Like that, you know, that shows the structure of your application right there. And it's pretty obvious if everything is all talking to one God module, or Mm -hmm. if there, you know, another module is spoken to by all the different layers of your application. Uh, If something like that could get built into the system, so you would have more direct feedback about, I'm just going to put this module over here. Okay, well, you know, when you're looking at a, a source code, File, Then it doesn't look like much. But if you had some other kind of feedback that said, aha, you're doing something that maybe you don't want to do. You're starting to walk down a funny path. That could be, that could be helpful.
2: Yeah, there's a code visualization um, that, that I've seen before. It, there was a, a 20 minute talk. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but it was at um, the Code Elixir in London. Um, right. where I gave a talk, and um, it basically showed it was uh, module dependency diagrams and what mm-hmm. you wanted was a lot of coherence up to a point and then um, you wanted you know basically many child modules talking to one module and then that um that one module the the God module talking to other ones but those those dependency um those those kinds of tools um, aren't talked about and used enough mm-hmm.
1: No, I, I, I mean, as someone who has gone through a few system designs recently, I like I, I think you're right to to point us more towards the concept of you know we need to have good fundamentals of system design and make sure we have good layers and good abstractions and all the all of the rest of it. I do. I do find sometimes like us trying to talk about these things in abstract is really hard, right? Right. Like I, I fully appreciate, I think the Tetris example is great and having like something functional like that. Um, And I'm really, I haven't uh, dug into the book yet. So I'm, I'm hoping to read that over the next like month or so, but I, I definitely feel like as a community, we need some more examples of things where it's like, you know, going from zero to a full system and showing how it's working so we can, Dig into that and actually understand it all together.
2: Yeah, yeah, that stuff is really, really hard to do in whatever form. So, part of what yeah. part of what um, I'm excited about in Groxio is that um, we're doing like a um, a mixed media. So, you know, when I was in Prologue, I could say, hey, I could write about the concepts and then I could show um, doing a, a system in, in video. And then I could say, okay, here's a project. Um, you know, we're going to solve a Sudoku, right? And we're going to build right. a maze solver. And the maze solver is, is easy when, when, you know, you're in this isolated world. It gets harder when you have to actually import the actual maze data, Right. Um, and I think that things are similar in the electoral world as well. So I can't, I can't wait to apply some of these techniques to, you know, the live, the live view course that we're delivering ring um, later this year. Right. So
0: I, I want to hear from you a little bit because, as we said, you've been in the community a long time. Uh, you've seen it grow and change. Where do you think it's going? What do you think is coming up next, either from a product point of view or a tech point of view or a culture point of view? Like, where where do you see all of these trends projecting onto?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of questions in there. Um, some of them are a little bit ominous, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So, one of the most influential talks that I've heard in the last, um, say, three or four years is one from, there's actually given at Gig City Elixir. Elixir, not by an Elixir guy, um, by one of the two voices of closure by a guy named Stu Halloway. He gave this talk called stewardship made practical, and it was about how to treat each other and about how to take care of yourself as a software, um, as an open source project owner. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had some private conversations with Stu and, um, He's a really good friend, um, great man, Um, and he says that they are saying, um, you know, they're having to have more conversations about conversations in the closure space, Mm -hmm. and um, I see a lot of that happening in Elixir. I see a lot of um, kind of people who have burnt important people in this community, community um, who are maybe not skillful skillful communicators and have burned bridges and, um, and then kind of being, um, you know, really kind of cast off maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have to learn how to talk to each other and we're going to have to learn how to disagree civilly. Um, mm-hmm. So culturally, um, you probably noticed in, in, in my talks for the last year um, that was the season that I was in, right? So I gave a talk called The River, so where I wasn't actually talking about um, this problem from other people's perspectives, but I was making my own observations. Um, and I gave a couple of versions of it, um, one at Lone Star Elixir um, and another one at um, in Code Elixir London. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, on, on a brighter note, I think that, one of the most brilliant talks that I've seen was um, Jose's keynote a couple of years ago, where he said elixir is done. Yeah, um, yep. that was a signal to the rest of the industry. And, you know what? I gave my my river talk. One of the one of the punchlines was there was a kind of an image of a river, but a river where the track had changed. Right. And there was this horseshoe that was no longer part of the river anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And a dead town attached to that horseshoe, right? And that's everybody's fear that they're going to be left behind. Uh, but that's a lot less of a fear when um, when we've kind of set the course, you know, we've we set the river the riverbed, um, you know, we've we've solidified it in one direction. You can so, come
0: back to the language a few years later, and yeah, it's not yeah, a wholly different yeah. language.
2: Or, you know, things can change. Um, things can change, but the things that are likely to change are, are likely to be outside of the core language. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that um, we ought to look for um, we ought to look for changes. You know, we've seen um, some some really big things happening in um, in scenic and in nerves. I think the nerves is is really growing up. Um, seeing right. Justin move Absolutely. to to Very Possible, I think is a really good move for him. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So he's moving from a from a company that used Nerves to a company that will be driving Nerves adoption in Very Possible. And and by the way, Emily Maxey um, is a wonderful executive. She's a marketing um, a marketing woman um, and and a good friend. But I, I'm I'm grateful that that Justin has has found that um, that kind of mentorship. In um, somebody I respect so much, so I look for big things out of nerves. Um, I, um, you know, as a, as someone who is watching the conference scene, um, I really, really love what you guys are doing at Impacts um, and in paying close attention to um, to what the community looks like. Right, not just um you know i mentioned tutoring um women and minorities and mentoring them not just that but the breadth of the opinions right so to have um to have some controversial opinions and things that maybe you don't even agree with um but to do that in such a um, in such a simple way is is really really big for us um and also to have frankly um a, a um speaker panel that's that's not you know the, the the um you know a bunch of white guys it's it's really mm. really important
1: for absolutely for us to
2: grow in a way that um that takes advantage of the whole community right and
1: yeah yeah i just want to second that like that's something that from the beginning of mpex we felt incredibly strongly about trying to promote is more diversity in the community um i like we all know that that can be difficult at times and, uh, I, but I think it's probably the most worthwhile cause for us as, as a community as well, like, and as conference organizers, making sure we're investing in that and, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're saying that Mpex is doing well there as well, Bruce. So as someone else who is also involved in a couple of conferences, it's it's great to hear. So and I know you've got a conference kind of coming up pretty soon as well, right?
2: Yeah, we have so we have Lone Star Elixir. So Jim Freeze has run that for a number of years and gave that to Maggie and I. I think that he had originally um, decided to to kind of mothball the conference. Um, but he, we invited him to come see what we were doing at Gig City Elixir, and he was um, so excited about it. He he um, let us run that one too, um, and I think that we're basically going to take um, to take his legacy and kind of continue it. And you mm-hmm. know, as one person, he didn't have the bandwidth to do some of the diversity efforts that we're doing. Um, you know, we're taking a you know, gosh, I, I'm learning from from the great ones so what what you guys did at um you know with the venues had, had really interesting venues. So we're gonna be moving from the strip mall into the movie theater. You know and amazing. You
1: know, yeah, I saw that. It looks great. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And so you know we have the um, the quirky upside down bat with the elixir um, logo. But yeah, so we're going to give away. So at it, at it, um, it, um, gig city elixir, we gave away 30 tickets. Um, wow. Because we had so many people believing in what we did and wanting to come, come alongside and help. Um, we won't be quite as heavy yet with, um, Lone Star Elixir, but, um, but gosh, I bet we'll be close. But I think that we both recognize that, um, when, um, when we treat the community in this way and we, and when we make the, um, the speaker list look like what we want it to be, um, then the look of the audience changes. And yep. when the look, look of enough of our audiences, audiences change, the look of our community will change as well. And we'll be stronger. We'll have you know better, um, better design aesthetics. Um, we'll have, um, cleaner, um, API design, you know, some of those things that, um, that the different races, genders, um, and different viewpoints can give us.
1: No, absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of uh, gigs. Uh, sorry, out of Lone Star this year as well. And then, of course, you uh, also do Gig City Elixir. Is that right? We do, we
2: do, yeah. So um, that's a story for another time. We actually <laughs> started that conference with a um, with a bribe. It was a it was a um, hundred fifty dollar a free hundred and fifty dollar bottle of bourbon. So we'll tell that story another time
1: to <laughs> <laughs> so John Hughes, no less. So, yeah, and can we expect another Gig City Elixir in 2020? Oh, absolutely.
2: Absolutely, yes. So, um, actually, the NERFs conference is actually going to be in Chattanooga also, and we're going to
1: be attached.
2: Um, Amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. When when is that going to be? So, yes,
2: I I believe that we are, uh, gosh, we'll we'll all have to get you the um, the dates, but um, we've locked them in, Um, but I don't want to get them wrong or, um, you know. Yeah, no, 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 it's all good. We can put it in the show notes after,
1: so... Yeah, it's totally fine for us to do that. Um, I think it's really cool that we're seeing a NERVS conference for the first time. Like, I haven't actually heard about this, so this is uh, really exciting news to hear right here. Justin, so.
2: if you're listening, Frank, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. <laughs>
1: I'm not that sorry. sorry good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, where can we see you uh, coming up soon then, Bruce? Oh, gosh,
2: a lot of conferences. So um, I'm going to be, um, of course, at your conference um, on you know, early february in la i'm going to be in austin at the um at the end of the month um the 27th 28th and 29th i'm going to be at a um at a conference by a guy named Venkat supermanium he is a um a java developer and um he's doing a conference called dev.next if you've heard of the no fluff just stuff um java symposiums um Venkat, gosh um I looked at his number of Twitter followers and I wanted to crawl, crawl under a rock. I mean, he's just, <laughs> Oh, he is just, he is killing it. He's um, a brilliant man. And so I'll be there. I'll be in um, Elixir um, Brazil in um, May and then, you know, on and on and on. So wow, wow. we're trying to get Gracio going, you know, that's the, yeah. <laughs> the career the right rocket shot. fuel. Hey, yep. I appreciate the rocket reference, right? Career rocket fuel for curious developers.
1: well we're looking forward to seeing more out of Groxio as well and uh yeah just excited about seeing you in LA as well Bruce and hearing a lot more about um the design elixir systems with OTP book it sounds excellent and it sounds like one of those books that was you know there was a hole there and I'm so glad that you're the one with James to be filling it so well let's um,
2: let's say that the other way um James is the one filling it I was along for the ride Um, (laughs) so that man is brilliant Um, He is tremendously gifted, tremendously talented. He's a better man than he is a coder and a writer too.
1: Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us on the show here today, Bruce. Um, Just want to say thank you for all your community efforts and contributions as well. Really, really happy to hear about all of the things that you're doing to push the community forward and, um, and what you have done in the past. So thanks so much. And thanks for telling your story here today as well.
2: Desmond, Chris, it has been a real honor to be with you here.
1: Thanks. Well, that's all we've got time for today on Elixir Talk, folks. So if you like this show, please give us a rating wherever you get in this podcast today. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. Um, and as always, I've been Chris Bell. I'm still Desmond Bowie.
2: I'm still Bruce Tate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Key.